Cane Scene. Welcome to the second episode of the FCL Teen Scene Podcast. My name is Christina, and I will be sharing the Teen Scene updates today. This summer, the teens and tweens of Farmington and Farmington Hills worked hard on creative writing pieces for our annual teen creative writing competition. The top three winners in each category will win cash prizes thanks to our generous sponsor, Ray Okonski. On Sunday, September 13th, we will host our awards ceremony, where the winners read a selection of their piece and discuss their motivation behind writing it. Due to current circumstances, the ceremony will take place on Zoom, but that will not make it any less fun. More information about this can be found at farmlib.org teen scene slash news and at FCL Teen Scene on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Did you know that both library locations are offering curbside pickup of holds? You can start by placing a hold on your account at farmlib.org. Once you get a notification that your hold is available, drive to the Liberty Street entrance of the Liberty Street location or the front entrance of the 12-mile location. There will be signs directing you to the front of the library and then you can text the curbside communicator number written on the library buildings. A staff member will bring your item out and place it in your trunk or back seat for a safe and contactless exchange. Our current curbside hours are Monday and Tuesday from 1 to 6 p.m. and Thursday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. As we begin to offer more services, we will post them on our reopening site at farmlib.org reopening. So make sure to stay up to date there if you are in need of any additional information. And that concludes our teen scene updates. Hi, I'm Kriti Sharodkar, and I'm going to be reading the reviews for the teen podcast. These reviews are submitted by Claire. Out is a short film by Pixar lasting 12 minutes. In this wonderful creation, a man named Greg is trying to hide his boyfriend from his parents when he unexpectedly gets switched with his dog. Though the plot is incredibly complex, this creation has done an admirable job representing the fears and worries surrounding coming out, as well as the measures many will take to avoid it. The animation is colorful and incredibly lovely to look at, which makes it even more captivating. It is also fantastic to see Disney finally including some LGBTQ representation. Overall, I would definitely recommend this to anyone who wants to relax to a short, wholesome story. Her second review is on Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, a novel written by Becky Albertalli. When emails traded between Simon, the protagonist, and a mysterious guy he falls in love with fall into the wrong hands, Simon is thrust into blackmail, drama, and a desperate dance to stay in the closet. Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda has a wonderful cast of characters that not only adds depth, tension, and hijinks, but are well-written and relatable. Through Simon's narration, you can see Becky Albertalli do a wonderful job of portraying themes of change and love, as well as the difficulties regarding coming out and one's sexuality. The romance play between Simon and the mysterious character referred to throughout most of the book as Blue is heartening and funny. Seeing Simon step out of his comfort zone, question and explore who he is, and feel a bit uncomfortable is an experience I'm sure everyone can relate to, and it is written in a strong yet not preachy way. To anyone who would like a well-written, humorous, 
Ernest Coming of Age Story, I would check out this book. Claire's third review is on a book called Sith, the first of a trilogy by the name of Ark of a Sith. It's written by a man named Neil Shusterman. In a futuristic world where death has been conquered, Siths are chosen to control the population. Citra Terranova and Rowan Domish are chosen to become apprentices and learn the art of gleaning a euphemism for killing. This book has many fascinating concepts surrounding it that make it an enjoyable read. The main villain is well written and fits the setting and situation perfectly, and the twists in the story are engrossing and tense. The characters are fairly well written with witty remarks and complex emotions. The dynamics created between many of the characters is incredible to explore, as some limitations posed in other books are not in this novel's world. The themes of morality explored throughout the book are incredibly understandable, yet really do provide some thought. For those who want an interesting book that has fantastic plot, I would recommend Sith. My first review is on Chain of Gold. Chain of Gold by Cassandra Clare is a young adult book and the first of the Last Hours trilogy. It follows the kids of the main characters from the Infernal Devices trilogy, which, in my opinion, remains the greatest series Cassandra Clare has released to date. Old fans of Clare will be blown away by the depth of both the characters and the plot in Chain of Gold, and new fans may find themselves with a new favorite series. Despite being set in Edwardian London, Clare introduces a diverse cast. For example, one of our main protagonists, Cordelia Carstairs, is Persian. Anna Lightwood frequently wears men's clothes and is a lesbian heartbreaker, and so many more. The series follows Will and Tessa Herndale from The Infernal Devices and their children, Lucy and James. In recent years, London has been demon attack free. Lucy and James have only heard of battles and great courage from their parents about their own clockwork war but they never imagined that they too would find themselves at war with an unnamed enemy. The, Black, the Blackthorn family and the Carstairs family soon find themselves in London, and, much to their surprise, they are met with inexplicable demon attacks. Even worse, these new demons can walk in sunlight and a scratch of their talons causes the victim to contract a dangerous illness. Together, the crew must work quickly to find a cure before it sends the mortal world, shadowhunter world, and downworld into chaos. Filled with romance, plot twists, including enticing side plots like Lucy's ability to converse with ghosts and James's evil bracelet, personable characters, and, most notably, that familiar Herondale family and Fairchild family brash humor, Chain of Gold allows readers to revisit their favorite characters from the Infernal Devices, letting it come full circle, and also fall in love with the second generation while they're at it, leaving readers to wait with bated breath for Chain of Iron, which comes out in March of 2021, and will hopefully be just as charming as the first. My second review is on Red, White, and Royal Blue. Red, White, and Royal Blue is Casey McQuiston's debut new adult romance novel, and despite being a person who does not usually indulge in contemporary romance, I would still recommend this book. McQuiston's novel is lighthearted with a perfect combination of romance and politics, with just the right amount of scandal to hook the readers in. The story follows Alexander Claremont Diaz, son of the U.S. President and his sister June, who travel to the United Kingdom for a royal wedding. Alex mistakenly shoves his rival, Prince Henry, into the wedding cake, sparking media hysteria. 
His mom, Ellen, who's the president, by the way, is worried about an international crisis and how this unlikely turn of event will affect her chances at re-election. In an effort to do some serious damage control, Henry and Alex are forced to make amends, and soon their friendship blossoms into an even more unlikely romance, one that pits Henry against his traditional grandmother, Queen Mary, and one that could risk Alex's chances and his mother's as he rises to political stardom. Filled with optimism and banter, McQuiston's Red, White, and Royal Blue is a happy novel the literature world needed. Not only does it include lovable, personable characters, but she also entertains a world America's youth wants to one day see, one where the son of a female president is half Mexican, one where sexuality is not a limit for the youth's futures, and one where people get their happy endings. Casey McQuiston manages to sneak in the political views on diversity in race, socioeconomic status, and sexual orientation without making her book preachy. Her story is both heart-wrenching and fluffy, with a perfect dose of snarky one-liners from the young adult protagonist and over-the-top one-liners that even the greatest of cynics can't help but fall in love with. Effervescent, red Effervescent, red, white, and royal blue is a heartfelt love story and an empowering celebration of identity. Alex and Henry both aspire to make history in the best way possible, and by reading their story, readers will find themselves contemplating how their own legacies fit in this world, too. For my third review, I'll be talking about Love, Victor. Love, Victor is the TV spin-off of the 2018 film Love, Simon, and it possesses the same charm as its predecessor. The show begins with high school student Victor Salazar, our protagonist, summarizing the plot of the original movie, in which teenager Simon comes out to his friends and family and meets his now boyfriend Bram in the most romantic way possible. Victor is writing a message to Simon, and at first he seems enthusiastic that a boy who once went to his school had such a wonderful coming out experience. However, Victor's conclusion to the message is far from what's expected. Harshly, he says, and I just want to say screw you. Screw you for having the world's most perfect, accepting parents, the world's most supportive friends, because for some of us, it's not that easy. Love, Victor preserves the excellent pacing and humor as Love, Simon, making it worth a watch. However, despite Love, Victor's fascinating premise, the show certainly has its faults. Love, Victor shares many of the strengths and, disappointingly, shortcomings of Love, Simon. Love, Simon's main criticism stemmed from the fact that because it was the first openly gay teenage romance released by a large studio, its protagonist was a white, upper-middle-class, straight-passing boy, and the movie was heteronormative at parts, as well as accommodating of the anticipated unease of straight audiences. Though it served its purpose as a long-awaited milestone for LGBTQ acceptance nationwide, Love, Simon fell short in really reverberating with its LGBTQ viewers, especially the queer people of color. With Love, Victor, the creator set out to venture into a less familiar LGBTQ story, thus sparking more excitement. Victor is recently moved from Atlanta to Texas with his extremely religious, working-class Latino family. Unfortunately, as the show develops, it becomes abundantly clear that the writers approach the show with just as much timidity as the movie makers did. As the audience, we're unfortunately not privy to Victor's internalized homophobia, fears of coming out as it relates to his faith, his relationship with his parents who are already going through a rough patch, or his self-image, especially since he's a popular athlete at a school. Many attest to drawbacks to the fact that Love, Victor was originally set to be released on Disney+, not Hulu like it is now. 
This means that it was written with the intention of being marketed to younger audiences. Disney has a bit of a reputation of straying from queer-friendly shows, even one as innocent as this one, due to fear of attacks from homophobes and or religious extremists, fearing that it will disrupt their squeaky clean, kid-friendly facade. On Disney, this show might have seemed like a gentle way of explaining identity to a younger audience, but on Hulu, which includes queer characters frequently, such as on shows like Runaways and Little Fires Everywhere, Victor comes across as extremely naive, even for a 15-year-old kid. Ultimately, the surface-level struggles that Victor undergoes, which are eerily similar to Simon's main issues revolving around fitting in and giving up the privilege of being straight-passing, mean that the series misses out on a more resonant story. For all the mistakes the TV show makes, there are still some of the familiar tugs of the heartstrings reminiscent of the emotions from Love, Simon, especially later in the season, and adding the struggles of varied socioeconomic statuses serves as a nice add-on to Love, Simon. Although Love, Victor could engage more deeply with its characters and materials, it doesn't feel like a money grab and recreation of the original movie, but rather an extension. It seems like the creators truly listened to the response for Love, Simon, took time to try and understand, and tried to do more with the spin-off show, Their Second Chance. If you enjoyed Love, Simon, Love, Victor might be worth the watch, if only so you can watch the full story come circle. And even if there are much better TV shows involving gay teens available now, and you hadn't seen Love, Simon, the show's intentions are largely good, and sometimes good intentions are enough to give it a chance. Hello, my name is Arya Karki, and today I'll be interviewing Anna Christman from the Michigan Humane Society. Hi, and welcome to the Farmington Community Library Teen Podcast. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to be here. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So my name is Anna Christman, and I am the media manager at Michigan Humane. Um, I have a couple different responsibilities inside the organization. So I do um, a lot of work with our PR and marketing team uh, to help not only um, get animals into loving forever homes, but also to educate the general public about animal health and safety, um, animal cruelty and rescue opportunities as well as ways to make all of our communities a little bit more humane and a little bit more safe for both uh, two-legged folks and four-legged folks. Sounds like a great job to have. How did you get involved with the Michigan Humane Society? I actually got involved with Michigan Humane by accident. <laughs> so I, at the time, uh, was looking for a uh, part-time, you know, kind of volunteer gig to, to fill some hours in my schedule and happened to find that Michigan Humane was hiring at our uh, Detroit location. This is our old Detroit location. And I went in for an interview and got hired in. And I am coming up now on nine years at the organization. So I've moved from um, general shelter work where I was cleaning kennels, you know, scooping poop, feeding, doing dog walks, cat walks, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I moved into our administrative office and joined our marketing team a little bit over three years ago now. Um, and then I moved into my current position just about two years ago. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, what would be your favorite thing about working with the Michigan Humane Society? Oh, um, I guess to work with animals every day. So that's always a bonus, right? <laughs> It's something I've wanted to do since I was very small, um, but I think the my favorite part about my job would be that every single day that I go to work, 
um, whether it's a great day where I'm seeing tons of animals going home with their new families or seeing animals that are making great medical recoveries, um, or even those bad days, you know, when we've got, say, lots of cruelty cases coming in, or there's large hoarding cases, or, you know, an animal um, that we were really hoping was going to be able to fight through medical issues doesn't make it. Um, every single day that I go to work and then I go home, I am making a difference in some way, shape, or form for an animal. And that, um, by extension, means that I'm making a difference for people in our community, and that is my absolute favorite thing. That sounds like a really amazing job to have. <laughs> it is. I'm very lucky. <laughs> uh, have there been any special pets that have made an impression on you since you've worked there? Several, actually. Um, it's hard not to get attached <laughs> in a certain sense. Um, so I am, in addition to working at Michigan Humane, I also foster a lot of animals. Um, so I have fostered somewhere in the realm of about 70 animals during my time with Michigan wow. Um, and I have fallen in love with and kept three of those, um, all of whom were dogs, uh, two of whom were heartworm cases, and one of whom came out of a, a pretty bad um, sort of breeder neglect situation. Um, so those three, obviously, if I kept them, <laughs> made a pretty big impact. Um, the other ones, though, uh, one of my most favorite animals um, I get to talk to people a lot about is we had an elderly dog come in. Um, beautiful white shepherd by the name of Alaric and he ended up needing a hospice adopter. We had discovered that he had a degenerative spinal condition and couldn't do stairs, um, was really going to be very, very restrictive in the, the amount of homes that were going to be out there to take him in and we managed to find the absolute perfect home and he and his mom came to one of our events last year so I got to see him and that so just I think anytime that we have an animal like that um, where you know our entire team pulls together to find a solution for this animal and and going above and beyond to find a way to make sure that even if they're not going to be with us for very long that the time that they are with us is happy and full of lots of love and treats and belly rubs and all sorts of things um, those are usually animals that stick most with you oh that's a really sweet story um what kind of animals do you tend to see most in your shelters so our primary intakes are for dogs and cats um and they can be Usually, I would say, like, especially on our adoption floor, they're about 80 to 90% of the animals that we have on our adoption floor. Um, we also take in a lot of rabbits. Oddly enough, we usually take in a couple hundred rabbits every year, um, which makes me super happy because I love rabbits. <laughs> um, and then we take in a lot of other things. We actually take in a lot of birds, um, everything from like little pet, like budgie, parakeet type things. Um, we take in lots of chickens, ducks. Um, we on occasion have pigs, cows, horses. Um, anytime there's a goat in our care, everybody gets super excited because we really like having the goats around. Um, we take in actually some reptiles as well. So we've taken in lizards and snakes. Um, we've taken in turtles. We have taken in pretty much anything that you can think of. <laughs> it's probably at one point or another made its way through Michigan Humane. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, you think about cats and dogs being there, but I never would have thought like goats, pigs, horses. Right. Well, and I mean, part of that is because, um, you know, we do have very, a very uh, large animal cruelty and rescue department, and sometimes those animals are in need in the same way that our dogs and cats are. Um, but we also 
help out with other agencies in the state of Michigan, as well as outside of the state of Michigan. Um, and we sometimes will work with like the US attorney, or excuse me, the Michigan Attorney General's office will work with um, some of our state police and things like that. We have at other points um, helped with other cases of animal abuse and neglect, which has resulted in us having care of a bear cub for a while. We've had cougars, we've had tigers, um, we have had alligators. So it's really, um, it is definitely an exciting and adventurous <laughs> place to work. That's for sure. Yeah, well, you learn something new every day. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, are there any common misconceptions that people have regarding sh shelter animals or adoptions? Ooh, so I think, so one of the things that I think a lot of people assume is that if an animal is in a shelter, that that animal is in some way broken right. or has been mistreated, abused, or neglected. And while we do see a high number of those cases, a lot of the animals that we're taking in um, are perfectly healthy. They're perfectly happy. We have several, um, a pretty high percentage of animals that come to us that are purebred animals and just through no fault of their own have found themselves within a position where they don't have a place to call home. Um, and so I think there's, there's a bit of a stigma um, that, you know, if you're adopting something from a shelter that, you know, it's in some way damaged goods. And that's a lot of times not the case. Every animal is going to have their quirks. Every animal's, you know, going to have aspects of their personality that may be a little bit more challenging than for others. It's just a matter of, you know, us helping them to find that perfect fit, right? <laughs> that's amazing what you do. So how has COVID-19 affected your shelters? Like in so many ways. <laughs> so we actually, so Michigan Humane operates, in addition to our animal protection shelters, we actually also operate full service veterinary centers at three out of four of our locations, um, and then a limited services veterinary center at our location in Howell. And one of the biggest things for us was so much of our interaction, so much of how we operate relies on face-to-face -face customer interaction, which was not an option when everything first started to happen. So the first thing we had to do is we actually had to um, kind of stop operations for a minute and assess how best can we continue to serve our clients and our animals in ways that's also gonna keep everybody safe. Um, so one of the first things we actually did was we transitioned all of our veterinary centers to a drive up model. Um, we also transitioned our adoptions to an appointment based system. So if folks were interested in coming to meet an animal, they would actually set up an appointment with us. They would come in, they would interact, and they would do everything. And we also um, transitioned to a primarily paperless system. So not just for adoptions, but for folks that were picking up foster animals. Um, we transitioned to paperless in a couple of our other operations as well. Um, so it's been, it's been an interesting challenge. Um, we consolidated our teams for a while and we're operating primarily out of our Westland facility um, with some operations continuing at our Detroit facility. And then in the last month or so, we've been able to gradually get everything back almost to exactly where we were prior to COVID hitting. Um, so we're, we're definitely um, continually challenging ourselves <laughs> to find more and more ways to, to get back to that sort of semblance of normal. But it's been um, definitely a huge shift in how we think about operations, how we relate with our community, how we can still continue to serve our community, um, while at the same time keeping the animals that we're caring for first and foremost. Yeah, it sounds like a big challenge because the animals 
have to be cared for. So uh, you guys right. and it's, have been. Yeah, and it's, it's been a little bit, you know, it's hard for our animals too. You know, animals are used to seeing people face to face. And so all of a sudden, you know, our animals are having to deal with us wearing gowns and wearing masks and wearing face shields and all of these things. And so even just that that one-on-one -on -one interaction with animals has changed in a certain sense in order to make sure that everybody's staying safe. So it's been across the board, I think it's been a really, it's it's been difficult, but our team um, has really risen to the challenge of finding creative and innovative ways to keep everything going <laughs> while dealing with all of those external factors. It sounds like you guys have been really hard at work though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so obviously volunteering at the animal shelter is going to be a different situation than it would be during normal times. So is there any way people can still get involved during this pandemic? Absolutely. So our, you hit the nail on the head. Our volunteers opportunities do look a little bit different. Um, folks can definitely still sign up to volunteer with us, but we are running more limited shifts and things like that. We're not quite back to full capacity just yet. Um, the other ways that folks can help is they can actually support us on their own time um, in a couple different ways. So one of the biggest things for us right now is um, just making sure that we are still getting information about our adoptable animals and our programs and services out to the general public. Um, one of the easiest ways for folks to do that is if they follow us on social media, just sharing those posts, right? Um, because, you know, if we put something out about a really great adoptable animal and somebody shares it, now all of a sudden we're reaching 500 more people than that animal would have reached before and that sort of thing. So it's a super easy way for folks to get involved is just getting um, follows on social media and being able to share that information with folks. Um, we also have an opportunity if um, folks use Amazon for any of their shopping needs. Um, there's two ways that you can actually benefit Michigan Humane through Amazon. One of which is you can donate items to us through our wish list, which is active on Amazon um, 365 days a year. We also have an Amazon Smile account, which for qualifying purchases, a portion of that purchase will be donated to the charity that you select. So if you select Michigan Humane, we would receive a monetary donation from each purchase that you're making through Amazon Smile, which is really awesome. Um, and the other ways that folks can help us actually are if you can't, um, make a monetary contribution, that's totally cool. Um, but if folks want to fundraise on our behalf, whether it's a Facebook fundraiser, um, donating proceeds from a virtual walk or things like that, all of those little bits help to keep us going and keep us moving. Well, I'll be definitely looking into those things and I'm sure our listeners will be too. Um, where can people follow you on social media? So you can find us, um, we have a Facebook page that's super active. You can just uh, search for Michigan Humane. Um, we also have a presence on Instagram, which is at mhumane, um, and Twitter as well, at mhumane. Uh, and so really whatever platform you're a fan of, <laughs> you're able to find us there. Um, but our Facebook page is probably the most active, followed by our Instagram and our Twitter. Right. So on average, how many animals do you have adopted each year? And have you seen an increase or decrease since the pandemic began? So on average, we hover right around 10,000 animals placed every year, uh, which is a lot. Impressive. <laughs> so this year, it's, yeah, this year it's obviously going to look a little bit different. Um, we, I don't have the current stats right off of my head, um, but one of the things that we're, 
adjusting to with COVID is actually um, the number of animals that we currently have in foster care, because we have a significantly higher number of animals currently in foster care than we've really ever had before. So when COVID-19 broke, um, we made an effort to kind of move as in many animals out of our facilities as possible. And we had over 500 animals, I believe, at one point in foster care, which is like 10 times <laughs> the normal number of animals that we have in foster at that time of the year. Um, and so that's one of the things that we're, we're still kind of processing all of those adoptions and things like that. So it's hard to say exactly where we're going to end up um, in terms of compared to other years, but I'm hoping <laughs> we're landing pretty close to that 10,000 mark again. Yeah. Well, I have family who's just been adopting recently, and it seems like a really good thing uh, during these times when people are feeling lonely um, to have an animal to share it with. It really is. I think, um, I know like for myself, I've been working from home um, for many, many weeks now, and my having my animals around helps keep me sane, right? You know, because it's, it's just that comfort and having a buddy to hang out with while you're at home and that sort of thing. Um, they also kick my butt and remind me that I should take them for walks and get out of the house for a minute. And, <laughs> and here, like my schedule would be a lot less interesting if it weren't for my dog who uh, you have to take her on walks and gives us something to do. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it keeps, you know, it keeps a little bit of a sense of normalcy. You know, I, my dogs are super excited that I'm home as much as I am, but also, you know, they still want to be fed. They still want to be walked. They still want their playtime. And so it, it's, I think, in a certain sense, it's comforting to have that, that bit of structure and that bit of schedule still yeah. part of my life has been super helpful. Well, I know that some people aren't able to adopt a pet. So I know you talked about uh, ways to help a little bit before, but is there anything else people can do if they can't adopt? Well, it kind of, so if you are not able to adopt either because of a travel schedule or things like that, um, we definitely encourage folks to look at fostering as well. Um, so just providing a temporary home for animals, um, it's a huge benefit to all of us in the shelter. Um, those times when we have animals that maybe just have picked up a bit of a cold and they need a place to recover or animals that, you know, we go all the way up through animals that have had um, limb amputations, eye removals, all sorts of crazy like surgery recovery type things. Um, and oftentimes those animals only need a place to crash for a couple of weeks before we can find them a forever home. And so if folks are able to do fostering, that's a great option for them. Another way to help actually is um, we do have, um, it's a little bit more tricky right now, obviously, because folks are not able to meet in groups and things like that as much. But we do actually have um, like kids crafts that kids can make at home. You know, if parents are looking for something for kids to do, those are, can be found on our website. Um, we also pretty regularly partner with Girl Scout and Boy Scout troops. Um, and they'll do things like they'll um, make blankets for the animals, they'll do toys, um, cat forts, all sorts of fun things. So there's definitely other ways to get involved if you're not able to bring an animal home at this point in time. Yeah, that's really good because I know a lot of people think there's not much they can do if they can't take in an animal, but there really is a lot they can help out with. There is. So uh, what's the most important thing you want people to know about your organization? Oh. <laughs> so I think probably the most important thing would just be that our while our primary responsibility is for the animals that are entrusted to us inside of our facility, um, the services that we can offer our community go so much further beyond that. 
we have a pet pantry program which supports owners who are struggling to find food for their pets um, that at this point in the year has already given out um, over half a million pounds of pet food um, and we're only in August and so we're, we're, we're going even further than that by the time 2020 is over. Um, we offer the opportunity for folks to receive um, discounted vet care in certain situations. If you need help getting um, even just preventative care for your pets can be supported by that. Um, we do have an animal cruelty and rescue division um, that operates both in the metro area and then in certain instances operates throughout the whole state of Michigan. And so what we really try to do is to be a voice and advocate for animals in need across the entire state of Michigan whenever possible. Um, and we just hope that folks are, are interested in checking out us and, and maybe learning a little bit more about us. And if you, you know, if you think we're doing some great work, then we would love to have you as part of the team. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to talk to you for longer, but I think that's about all the time we have for today. Before we go, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Just that we are incredibly excited um, to actually this week, we just launched a brand new um, adoption app for folks um, that's going to make it, we hope, a little bit easier and more accessible for folks that are still looking for that forever friend to come in and meet with a couple different options. So all you need to do is head to michiganhumane.org slash appointment and we can get you into one of our facilities and see if we can find you that new best friend. Wow, that sounds really great. Well, thank you again for being a part of our podcast and talking to me today. We're so glad that you could join us. Thank you guys so much for having us. Of course, anytime. Well, that just about wraps up this segment. So uh, goodbye for now and have a good day. Thanks, Aria, so much. You have a good one as well. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of The Good Mind Project. This project is dedicated to providing information on how to keep our minds healthy, especially during the situation we are living in right now. My name is Shreya, and I'm so excited to have you join us today. In each episode, I'm going to touch on one important topic that relates to keeping our minds healthy. We are going to start off with a very important topic today, and that is sleep. So many of our New Year's resolutions include being healthier, right? That doesn't mean just working out and eating healthy. It's a combination of exercise, eating healthy, and good sleep. Sleeping at the right time and for the correct amount of time is the number one priority when it comes to staying physically and mentally healthy. So during quarantine, a lot of us might relate to feeling isolated or just down in general. A lack of sleep could be one of the reasons contributing to these negative feelings. Did you know that poor sleep is not only linked to physical problems such as a weakened immune system and obesity, but also mental health problems such as anxiety and depression. Not sleeping enough and sleeping too much can have negative effects on you. The perfect amount of sleep for teenagers is around eight to 10 hours of sleep every night. Some benefits of getting a good amount of sleep include a decreased risk for a stroke, heart disease, and diabetes. As I stated earlier, bad sleep is linked to weight gain. It is also linked to more breakouts and overall just a bummy mood. For all my athletes out there, Getting a good amount of sleep every day can maximize your athletic performance. Now, some of you might say, I go to bed at 4 a.m. every day, I watch Netflix, and I love watching Netflix at 4 a.m., but I wake up at 1. I'm still getting 9 hours of sleep. I don't see the issue. Now, this is going against our internal clocks. It can make us feel groggy and unproductive and can cause long-term problems. 
One of the problems that comes from going against the internal clock is vitamin D deficiency because you spend more time away from light when you're sleeping through the morning. Our internal clocks help us naturally feel more awake during daylight hours and more tired at night. That's just how we're wired. So An irregular sleep schedule can cause irritability, drowsiness, mood swings, concentration and memory problems, headaches, and a decline in cognitive skills. This is why it is imperative to set a sleep schedule and stick to it so your body can find its natural rhythm. Try to go to sleep and wake up at the same time every day. This is important for school because we all know the feeling of feeling so tired in class that we think we can just fall asleep sitting down. It's so important to set your sleep schedule now so that you can do your best in school. So after you set your sleep schedule and you figure out what time you're going to go to sleep every night, it is time to sleep at the time. To get to sleep faster, there are some things to keep in mind. Keep your environment dark and at a temperature that is comfortable. Make sure you stop doing work in your bedroom so that it can be only associated with sleep. Now I remember during school, I used to work in my room and then find it really hard to go to bed. So I moved all my work related things to a different room so that my mind does not associate my bedroom with doing more work. Try to wind down with a warm bath or meditation and relax. You don't need to do a fancy meditation ritual, just five minutes of mindful breathing could work. Avoiding sugary or heavy meals close to bedtime and avoiding caffeine is very important. Working out at night can also make it harder to sleep due to the adrenaline that is released. Limit napping during the day, and this is so important, turn off your devices 30 minutes prior to bedtime. I hope these tips and info will help you guys fix your sleep schedules. As I stated, it's really important to start now if your sleep schedule is really bad because school is right around the corner. We want to feel our best during school to prevent the impact of stress as much as we can. That is all for today's episode of The Good Mind Project. If you guys ever want to see more tips or you miss an episode, make sure to follow The Good Mind Project on Instagram. It's at The Good Mind Project. See you guys next time. Hi, I'm Griffin, and now it's time for a riddle. In our last podcast, we shared the following riddle with you. I'm a five-letter word. I'm normally below you. If you remove my first letter, you'll find me above you. If you remove my first and second letters, you can't see me. What am I? The answer to that riddle is chair. You usually sit on a chair. If you remove the first letter, it becomes hair, which is above you. If you remove the first and second letters, it becomes air, which you can't see. Now I will share our next riddle. A box without hinges, key, or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid. If you know what that riddle describes, send us a direct message at Scene on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to get a shout-out on our next podcast. Come on down to the library. Enjoy your teen scene program. This is his podcast!